Hello and welcome to Accessible Theology. My name is Aaron and I'm here with Michael. And our goal is to make the study of God's word accessible to our listeners so that we and you would better love God, know truth, and live accordingly. Welcome back to Accessible Theology. We've got another episode coming at you today, and it's another listener-generated question. So we, again, just want to express our appreciation for that. And the uh, question is going to be um, maybe not the least bit controversial. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. Um, But this listener asks... Do you teach your unsaved children to pray, knowing that the Lord doesn't hear the prayer of the unrighteous? If so, how should they pray? So the verse that uh, they're most likely uh, referencing comes from John chapter 9, verse 31, which says, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So, Michael is going to be uh, stepping into the ring this time to answer the question, uh, do you teach your unsaved children to pray, knowing that the Lord doesn't hear the prayer of the unrighteous? So, Michael, your time starts now. All right, so this would be a really easy answer if I was a Presbyterian, (laughs) Uh, and I believe that sprinkling my my baby allowed them to be a covenant member because then obviously yes it would uh, this we would do that but as a baptist uh, i would still agree that yes i would do those things i just don't count this child a covenant member so for example i really like there's an article that uh, a man named joe rigney has written um, entitled when to baptize our believing children and he says that he agrees with uh, an infant baptist guy his name is mark jones he says these are four helpful questions Uh, to think through how you raise your children. And they read, I do assure my sons of God's forgiveness when they repent. I do encourage them to forgive because Christ has forgiven them. I do teach them to sing all the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I do teach them to pray to God as their Heavenly Father. I would do that 100%. I don't have a child yet. I hope to someday (laughs) soon, but um, we don't at this point. And when we do, though, I will teach my children to pray to God as their Father and I will feel zero um, error in doing that, um, zero conviction. And the reason is, I actually, so I, I intentionally wanted this verse from John 9, because I think a lot of people turn to it and think that. I actually think this guy really doesn't know what he's talking about all that much in this context. He's not really, um, he's been just healed by Jesus. He's a little immature in his faith, and I, I wouldn't take this understanding as explicitly true. What I mean by that is this, when we think about God listening, to a prayer. Um, God hears everything. So it's not that he isn't able to hear a prayer. I, I had that mistakenly uh, held belief for a long time as, as though God just couldn't hear mm-hmm. someone who wasn't saved. But that's, that's not right. God is omnipresent. He hears all things. So the question is more, does God favorably respond or does he favorably interact with the prayer of someone who's um, not yet saved. And that's where it gets a little more dicey. I actually, I, I do not think, for example, if you go back to the book of Genesis, I don't think Hagar is a righteous person. And yet God responds to her prayer when she has Ishmael out in the desert and thinks they're about to die and gives them what they need to to survive. So theologically then for me, that allows me to have a category that God actually does respond to the prayer of someone who's not in the covenant community. 
So I don't know what we do with that in terms of like, I don't know how you wrestle through that in your own life. But what I want to say is, for my purposes, God does hear those things. And I believe raising your child to pray to God as their father is a necessary part of bringing them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And that one day God will, um, by his grace, finalize that by bringing them into just by justifying them through faith in Christ. But I, I would say strongly that I would absolutely teach my children to pray to God as their heavenly father. So that's where I'll stop then. All right. Well, that is a good answer. Um, so as we discuss this topic, one of the things that might be helpful to, to further clarify is what is the difference between hearing and answering? And would you answer differently if the question were worded, does God answer the prayers of um, unsaved people? And, and we, we can take it outside of the category of children because I'm sure many um, unsaved people pray. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's how would you kind of think through that? God will, I believe that God can answer the prayer of an unsaved person, but not as their father. That's the key distinction. So in the new covenant, we are made children of God, right? Yeah. So we're praying to our heavenly father in that way. I would be, so theologically though, I, I do believe that God answered, like, it's interesting that there's times where like, for example, in the story of Jonah, mm-hmm. you have the fishermen crying out to God and him listening before that they seem to explicitly believe like it's hard. And again, they might be believing in that moment and coming to know him. But, sure. but again, like that's, it's very, I think that what we see there though, is that God hears all things. And that again, I don't think Hagar was saved mm-hmm. and yet God responds to her. And we could say answers. I have air quotes there. What do we mean sure. by answers? But he, he provides for her needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I, I, I don't think it's wrong to say that God does uh, provide for the needs of people. So, for example, let's say I, I remember this happened with someone I knew formerly. Um, they um, they really needed a car, and so uh, because their family was growing, and uh, one time they were driving uh, to church, and one of their uh, children, who at this point um, was not a professing believer or anything like that, and the child asked, "Hey, Dad, can we can we pray and ask God to give us a car?" Because um, he had heard that they were looking for a vehicle, and so they took time and. He actually had his uh, his son pray for that, and lo and behold, within a few weeks, they had found a, a deal that they never thought they'd be able to have to provide for the needs of their company, or the needs of their company, the needs of their family, mm-hmm. and um, and that was a really instrumental part of this child's development. I believe I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing for the child to experience to see that there's a need that they're praying and asking God in faith, and that uh, God provides for the needs of his people um i and i i have i don't have any reservations to go oh my goodness so what about the the timing of the child's faith and like do i have to fret over that i (laughs) i don't think so i i don't think that that fear that is happening is something the bible's putting on me i think that might be self-imposed by maybe a misunderstanding of something like this guy saying in john 9 sure so i would i that's how i would kind of navigate through that so so then thinking through that a little bit further is it possible? Could there could there be a category of prayer or a category of prayer, like someone who prays, um, that is unsaved and yet they are praying in accordance with God's will, and so therefore it, it 
it seems as if it's answered instead of uh, it is a direct, I don't, I don't know if I want to say cause and effect, mm-hmm. but could there be some sort of category of prayer that um, this unsaved person is, for whatever reason, praying in accordance with God's will and is, quote unquote, heard? I think that Cornelius in Acts 10 is an example of that. He's a God-fearer mm-hmm. who God sends an angel to, and then he's saved later. Yeah. And it seems that he was praying. And it's interesting, in this John 9.31 text we just read, the word that he uses, but the guy says, if someone's a God-fearing or literally devout, yeah. that's not saying saved. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting he uses that word. Yeah. And that in Acts 10, then, Cornelius is this devout centurion mm-hmm. who... Um, experienced his salvation and it seems that god answered his prayers he went he prayed but i don't know like was the salvation it seems the salvation was at the moment when peter came and preached them and yet he has this relationship and so he's praying to this god he doesn't fully know but the but he's moving in a trajectory that seems to be right i don't know maybe he had friends that was telling him the truth of the gospel who who knows what's going on there but somehow this guy is praying and god sends an angel to him and so that, to me, gives some category to think through of how God interacts yeah. with people who are not in covenant with him, but who he could. And again, God is the one who's the author of salvation. So his right. his spirit his could be at work guiding this person mm-hmm. to him so he can lay, right, so he right. can bring salvation. And I right. would say, as a Christian who is raising my children, I fully believe that's how I'm raising my I'm raising my children with the the hope that raising them in this way is the way that they will eventually live their lives so that raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord would lead to them being, as it says in John 9, 31 here, more than a God-fearer, mm-hmm, though, mm-hmm. more than a devout person, but they'd be a saved person. Yeah. But I, I think that I, I would say, yeah, I do see in the Scriptures reason to see that God is amazingly gracious, even if people don't deserve it at all yeah. and aren't even in a relationship with him. It seems to be that that's the case with some of these people. Yeah. So. Hagar, the centurion in Acts 10. Yeah, and and I think think Cornelius is probably a different situation than I was thinking because that is someone who, I mean, we're we're after the fact so that we we know that he was being drawn to salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm even thinking of, of someone who is not going, is not being drawn to salvation Mm -hmm. and is not going to be saved. Um, and and just I guess wondering um, so like Owen John Owen has a category for the work of the Spirit in which God the Holy Spirit can um, can convict and can work in an unbeliever without ever drawing them to faith without ever drawing them to repentance and I guess I'm just I don't know we're thinking out loud here possibly in, I think Balaam's wondering. a good example of okay through that, sure right yeah. so yeah. Balaam is convicted of his sin and yet we see in Jude that he died in a rebellion against the Lord it seems mm-hmm. like he wasn't ever mm-hmm. saved but yet it says that it actually says in the text if you read the story of Balaam the Holy Spirit came upon him yeah. or think of Saul right yeah. so the Holy yeah. I don't think Saul is saved and yet right. the Holy Spirit worked at him and it seems like God even answers some of Saul's prayers yeah and he was unregenerate. So yeah. I do think that there's a category. I really think that I'm grateful you bring it up that Owen does talk about. I think there is a category to say that the Holy Spirit will actually um, work in a non-salvific <laughs> and yet world-changing way. Yeah. Think of Cyrus yeah. In, yeah. with Isaiah, Cyrus, yeah. right? God, right. the Holy Spirit seems to work, but I don't know if we have any reason to believe Cyrus is necessarily saved. Yeah. Yeah. But yet God raises these people up mm-hmm. for uh, in certain ways. But 
doesn't mean that he necessarily brings them into a salvific relation where they experience him as father. Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't know that. But this is again, we're we're kind of thinking out loud, thinking through some of these categories to get at this question because I think a lot of us almost have this maybe instinctive perspective that God just doesn't listen to you if you're not saved at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I, I say that very sympathetically. I had that same exact perspective till a couple of years ago. And I, I had that's like, where's that coming from? Yeah. And when you actually read a lot of these stories in the Bible, you, you see that there are people who I would be very hesitant, if not just outright deny that this person knew, knew God in a, in a salvific way, yeah. praying and God meeting the need and, and, and you and working in and through them. Right. Um, for his glory in bringing Christ into the world. Um, so I would, yeah, I would say, so Jesus says, for example, when you get to John 15, he says, if my words, if I remain in you and my words remain in you, ask whatever you will and it will be given to you by the Father. That's a new covenant, you know, blood-bought experience through adoption reality that we have. So I believe we have the Father's ear in a way that others don't, right? Just like you, you know, you have your son, when he cries, you're going to respond differently than when another kid in the church or someone around you mm-hmm, cries, mm-hmm. right? You have that connection as father. Yeah. There's a quicker response. We could say there's an intimacy. There's a covenant that you have with this child. Yeah, I would say that that's with how God relates to his covenant children that are that have faith in him. There's a there's an intimacy that is had. There is a unique relationship that is not had others with others. But just like you would still actually hear the cry of a child and maybe be willing to help them if you saw that there was a need. I do believe that God is completely free mm-hmm. to actually respond to those people, even if they're not saved. Right. And he's and I think there are plenty of examples in history of him actually doing that. Yeah. So yeah, I would agree. Um, and I I was I was going to speak as the resident parent expert yeah. uh, <laughs> here at Accessible Theology, of course. Uh, and in agreement with what you said, basically the trajectory that I want to set in Zay's life is, is modeling for him before he responds to the gospel in repentance and faith, what would be expected of him after Lord willing, he responds to the gospel in repentance and faith. So, so I want to instill those habits in him, uh, before the spirit is prompting him, uh, again, Lord willing, to do those, uh, as a follower of Jesus. Uh, and yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about, um, <laughs> I don't want to say I'm not concerned whether or not God is going to hear his prayers. I mean, obviously God hears, mm-hmm. um, but I want to instill those habits. And, and I, I mean, I pray, I pray all the time that they would have a boring testimony that he would come to know Jesus at a young age and, in this process that, that we're raising him, that he would see faithfully modeled in front of him what it looks like to follow Jesus. And one of the ways that we try to do that is by prayer mm-hmm. and, and calling out to God as our father. So I have, I guess, I don't know if we have time for both questions, unless you can be brief. That okay. is, um, maybe think through with me here for a second. Um, the nature of prayer. So we're talking specifically about prayer and whether or not an unbeliever's prayer can be heard. Mm -hmm. So my question is, is prayer only heard by the mediation of Christ? We, We see Paul presenting in Romans 
Jesus as as our 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 great high priest. He's he's interceding for us. So is prayer then only heard by the mediation of Christ? And what effect would that have on someone who is not united to Christ? Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, so yeah, Jesus does say in John fourteen six that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I believe that's more of a salvation related text, right? That that no one can come to know the Father salvifically mm-hmm. than than saying that. You know, for example, are we are we then saying that if a non-believer prays that Jesus would have to hear it and then take it to the Father kind of thing? Again, they're, the triune God is inseparable. They hear these. <laughs> they hear. They all are here hearing these these mm-hmm. realities. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's other things going on in that text that I don't have time to get into right now. Right. But to say this, I do believe that they're like in terms of unmediated. I would say that God. Um, hears all things knows all things and is bringing all things in history together for his glory and i don't believe that that removes the possibility of him hearing things from people who are not directly you know in a covenant relationship with christ and Mm -hmm. i don't believe that that does away or takes away from the mediation of christ in the sense that prayer in the new covenant is a new reality that is not how Neil, we talked about this in our adoption episodes, yeah, that there's yeah. a new experience that believers have with their relationship with God as father through the adoption of Christ. Right. And I think that's what's going on with praying through the mediation of Jesus in yeah. a new way that we have this father relationship that it was not had in the old covenant yeah. that is now had. And I believe that training your children to see that through the revealed word of God is putting kindling in them. I know the songs that my mom raised me with the, the verses I memorized, all of those things before I came to know Christ mm-hmm. were foundational for right. my faith. And I in no way think that my mom was somehow theologically inept mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. training me to pray yeah. as a kid. That mm-hmm. was crucial for me coming to know how to pray to God. And I, I don't believe that we need to nitpick because of the fact that that adoption language and going through the mediation of Christ is speaking of the new covenant richness. Yeah. And I don't believe that that precludes teaching your child to pray to God as father. Yeah. So that actually leads directly into to my next question, mm-hmm. which we may not have a whole lot of time to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in one major way that we uh, would disagree with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters mm-hmm. is, is in what exactly is the newness of the new covenant. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think in practicality, specifically in this regard, as Michael has already noted, a lot of how we, um, a lot of the practice that we would have as Baptists would be the same, if not exact, as Presbyterian brothers and sisters. But my question, I think I I would get a little bit more at the theological grounding for it, because we may agree on the conclusion, but disagree on how we get there. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that unsaved person specifically a child in this instance Mm -hmm. uh, calling god father is in any way betraying the newness of the new covenant i don't think so okay i think jesus so and this is where i'm real close to a president like i'm not a presbyterian but i (laughs) i I, this is where it starts sounding like it is that jesus says let the children come to me yeah i i i don't know what to do like there's a lot of questions about 
soteriology might have like sure. salvation what's going on there sure. jesus says let the children come to me i don't come, believe yeah. he's saying let the children be sprinkled and become covenant members <laughs> but i do believe let the children come to yeah. me is a crucial text in my thinking to say yeah. i want to train children that they that god loves them yeah. and wants them to know him and i i feel zero confliction with my baptist realities there because i the bible puts them both there and i believe that both of those are scriptural realities let mm -hmm. the children come but dunk them once they have a mature profession <laughs> so. yeah yeah and so when 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 we say the newness of the new covenant specifically what we are referring to is uh who who can rightly be considered a member of the new covenant mm -hmm. I, I know we have some some presbyterian brothers and sisters out there who listen and we're thankful for that and appreciate the pushback at mm -hmm. times as well. Yeah. Um, and, and again, we agree on a lot of the practicalities and how this would work out uh, in, in everyday life. But there are some, some theological disagreements, specifically the newness of the new covenant uh, that we would disagree on mm -hmm. how exactly we arrive at the conclusions. And so that, that's just what I was trying to get at. Um, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I agree with you. Yeah. I, it's not, not something I've spent a lot of time thinking about because I, yeah, I don't know. As a parent, like I said, I want to model what, what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus so that if, and when, um, Lord willing, my son or kids, however many God blesses us with, um, would come to know Jesus as Lord, they would have a leg up, so to speak. And, and already know what it looks like to to live and move and act like a Christian. Yep. And that's another reason why I also believe in slightly delaying the child's baptism until they have a more mature profession. Because if I was just going to baptize my child upon the immediate profession of faith, if they're like five years old, yep. I would honestly just become a Presbyterian. And why, why would I, you know, I, I believe that baptism should be a mature profession of your faith one in which you actually understand the gospel and proclaiming Christ. Mm -hmm. And so those realities, though, you're praying and hoping that God would bring about that mature yeah. faith in him. And you're excited. You're encouraging it the whole time. Yeah. You're calling your kids to love Christ, to sing songs. Yeah. I want I want, I want my home to be full of my kids knowing hymns and yeah. songs and spiritual songs from yeah. a young age. And I, yeah, and God will, by his grace, I believe, use that. So, Amen and amen. That's where we have to leave it for yeah. now. Uh, and hopefully... Hopefully it made sense. If you have any questions or pushback, we'd love to hear it. Uh, and other questions, uh, topics for us to consider as well. Feel free to shoot them our way. Uh, but hopefully you found this conversation um, easy to follow. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it made sense and is not just something that we're doing to have fun, but is something that is building you up as well. So until next time, as always, we want to charge you to love God, know truth, and live accordingly.